You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Amen. Let's uh, turn to 2 Corinthians. It's the book we're going through at the moment. In the morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 7. You'll find it on page 1164. However, before we look at this, I was asked this week, I was sent an interesting email and a couple of messages saying, can you give us some guidance on the referendum? And immediately there's a look of panic on several people's faces. Uh, so yes, I can, and I, I, I want to do this. Um, the, I was tempted to choose a couple of verses and preach on them, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Everything is yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Or Titus, the grace of God teaches us to say no. Um, but I'm, of course, not going to do that. It is not for anyone in any church to tell people how to vote. But I do want to share with you three pastoral concerns from the Word of God over what is a very important situation. And you'll see it connects in with our passage as well. The first is simply this. Do not trust in princes. Do not trust in politicians. Doesn't mean you despise, doesn't mean, but the amount of people and Christians as well who are putting their faith in political systems is appalling because they will always let you down. Don't put your hope and trust in political systems. Second piece of advice from God's word, I think, is this, is don't be afraid. Uh, there's a lot of banter back and forth, and I like the discussion and so on, but earlier this week, or last week, I uh, found myself lying in bed just feeling sick at the potential implications of what could happen. Either way, either way, just thinking about where our country is at my own view is that this is, in my view, this is all a judgment of God, that our political and economic systems are corrupt, and uh, that we shouldn't trust, as I said, in any political system. I could not sleep, and my heart was troubled. And I got up, and I went down, and I said, Lord, I, I, honestly, this is very difficult. Please help. I'm, I'm really struggling. I, I, I'm full of fear and lots of different things. And in the McShane calendar for that day, I just read the next two chapters, and I read this. John 14, verse 1, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. We should care about our country, but what happens on Thursday doesn't change the world, doesn't change your lives, not absolutely your relationship with Christ is the most important thing. And so the third thing is pray. God is sovereign. We pray to a sovereign God. Uh, I'm a wee bit tired this morning because I went down to the BBC studios and did 14 interviews with local radio stations, which was just bizarre. They were all English radio stations. And um, the, you know, the one in Sheffield understood what was going on. And I, I think uh, the one in Manchester did, but the others hadn't a clue. And it was really quite interesting just talking to people. And they were meant to be religious things. And in particular, three or four of them said, 
You're asking people to pray. What good will prayer do? Will God tell you how to, how to vote? And I said, no, God will not tell me how to vote, and he'll not tell anyone else how to vote. Well, what's the point of prayer? And I said to them, well, this is the point of prayer. God's not a big slot machine in the sky, who, some divine kind of Wikipedia or Google, who tells you exactly what to do in every circumstance. I said, when I pray, I pray that God's will would be done. I pray that his kingdom would come on earth. And I don't regard his kingdom as primarily political or tied in with the British or Scottish systems. And I pray that whatever happens, that what this land needs the most is a renewal of biblical Christianity, that whatever happens on Thursday, that that would be used to stir that up. So those three things, don't trust in political systems, don't be afraid, and pray remembering that God is sovereign. And I think um, you will be able to lie down in peace, whatever your political point of view. Now let's turn to this passage, which I think is actually connected, because um, we're going to read a, a lot about boasting. And the word that's used here for boast is the idea of talking about oneself with excessive pride to brag. Um, I, I don't know if you've ever been at a party or... or sat around a dinner table or listened to someone talk and they talk about themselves all the time and you think how did they get such a big head you know how did such a small person get such a big head it 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 happens and sometimes maybe sometimes we can be a wee bit like that this idea here though carries this idea of excessive talking what do you and I talk about the most? What do we boast about? You know, I, I heard a, um, you get the kind of, I'll, I'll stick with the referendum thing. You get the two kind of extreme personalities, don't you? You get the sort of really strong nationalist who stands up and go, they couldn't take my life, they'll never take my freedom. And I'm going, if they take your life, they've taken your freedom, you idiot, shut up. You know, or there was a guy I met last week, and he was so funny because he was on he was on BBC Question Time. I heard, "I will die for the union." It wasn't Mr. Paisley, it was, but he sounded like him. "I will die for the union." I'm British, and I will die for the union. Our forefathers died for it, and I will die for it. And I, I thought, yeah, you probably will. The way you're carrying on, just calm down. People do a lot of boasting and talking about things. You notice that, don't you? If those of you who are daft enough to be on Facebook, what, what, what's your status about all the time? This is what I ate. This is what I ate. This is what I ate. Here's my cat. Here's my cat. Here's my cat. These are my children. These are my children. Here's my cat again. You know, that's how, <laughs> that's how, they, that's how they go. You, I mean, what do we talk about? What do we write about? What do we think about? Well, Paul here is being asked to defend his ministry, and he's doing it by pouring out his heart that what really gets him is Jesus. When I went to the BBC, I'll tell you a wee secret, even though this has been recorded. Uh, the BBC phoned up the Free Church and asked, can we get someone to come and speak about the Scottish church scene and the referendum? And the Free Church was so surprised at being asked, they said yes, and they asked me if I'd do it, and I said yes. And then I got a phone call saying, no, they don't want you to do it because you're biased. And I said, I phoned up the BBC and said, are you crazy? You seriously think you'll get somebody who's not biased? And they said, 
well, we want someone academic. I said, you think academics are not biased? Of course, everyone's biased. But I said, I can assure you, I will not let my political opinions come in on this. And they said, well, what would you say? I said, you know what I would like to say? I would like to say that without God, this country is stuffed no matter who the politicians are, and we need a biblical renewal and revival. And they said, oh, that's okay. That's not biased. <laughs> so they, they gave me permission, what I've never been allowed to say on the BBC before, so I just went for it. But I think here, Paul is saying, is, is trying to defend his ministry, and he's talking about Jesus because that's what really, ultimately, really, really matters. The NIV says, you are judging by appearances, but I think the footnote is better. I honestly think that is wrong. I think what this is saying is this. Look at the obvious facts. Paul's saying, look at the facts. He's being accused, actually, of not being a Christian. It's an imperative. It's a command. He's not saying, don't just judge by appearances. You can translate it that way. It's, it's ambiguous. But he's really saying, what are the facts? What are the facts in terms of what's going on? I was handed a leaflet yesterday that said, if you don't know, vote no. One of the stupidest leaflets you'll ever get. People do stuff. You know, ignorance is not a basis for doing anything. Find out. Judge by the facts. And that's what Paul's saying here. He's not saying just have faith in me. He's saying, look at the facts. What are the facts? And so he gives us some basic principles. The first is this. Verse 7. You are judging by appearance. Or look at the facts. If anyone is confident that they belong to Christ, they should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as they do. Now, this is an extraordinary thing. If you're not a Christian, you may say, what's extraordinary about that? If you are a Christian, know anything about the Bible, you know that Paul wrote a third of the New Testament, you know that he planted virtually most of the churches, you know that without the Apostle Paul, there would not be Christianity today. God called him and God used him. And here is this church where there are people going, we don't really think that Paul's a Christian. He's not very sound. It really is incredible. When someone takes a different view to us about something... We should not automatically assume that they are not Christians. I, I, I get a lot of um, emails and things. One that I kept because it was just so amazing because I was writing a commentary about something. And this was posted uh, not just privately to me but all over the place. This statement makes me want to ask a very difficult question. Is David Robertson actually a born-again Christian? After reading what he's just written... I have to believe, reluctantly, that he is under the control of Satan. Now, that's, even, even I thought that was slightly over the top. Um, under the control of Satan. Sometimes Christians can be like that. Listen, there are things which, if we do not believe, means we, we are not a Christian. If you don't believe that God is almighty, you're not a Christian. If you don't believe that Jesus is the son of God, you're not a Christian. If you don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead, you're not a Christian. But there are other things where Christians disagree, where if someone doesn't have the same view as you, it doesn't mean they're not a Christian. Church government, predestination, baptism, gifts of the spirit, Israel. Um, we allow variety. It really is quite unnerving when someone comes up to you and says, well, what do you think about the state of Israel? And I'm looking and I'm trying to work out, are they pro-Palestinian or is it if I say that Israel, you know, if I deny that the current Israel is the Israel of the Bible, am I about to be, you know, excommunicated or something? 
People have very strong opinions about matters and tend to say, well, if they don't go the way I go, I'm beginning to question whether they're a Christian. And that's what happened with Paul. Incidentally, in in this church, St. Peter's is a Presbyterian church. And what that means is this, that actually we allow differences on doctrines because we're a confessional church. We're not going to have a congregational meeting where we're voting on doctrine. All the elders sign up to our confession of faith. If we want to change that, if we believed it was unbiblical, we'd have to go to the wider church and ask them. But basically, we're not going to have a referendum on baptism or a referendum on Israel or a referendum on lots of different doctrines. And I think that that's a strength. 2 Timothy 2.19 says this, Keep reminding them of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It's of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have wandered away from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. We leave the Lord to judge because sometimes we are very superficial in our judgments. Supposing I was to just go around each of you right now and go, yep, you're born again, you're born again, not sure about you, you're definitely not born again. Sorry, I'm not pointing at anyone in particular, Stephen. That, was, <laughs> that wasn't intended. Um, you know, and, but churches do that. They make these kind of judgments. Listen, I don't know your spiritual state. Some people you, you see eventually by their fruits. Others, there's, you know, there's clear evidence. But sometimes we can't even judge our own situations, never mind other people's. So we don't make those kind of judgments. Verses 8 to 11. So even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up rather than tearing you down, I will not be ashamed of it. I do not want to, be, to seem to be trying to frighten you with my letters. For some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. Such people should realize that what we are in our letters when we are absent, we will be in our actions when we are present. Paul says, I want you to judge by the facts. First fact is, we're Christian. Second fact is, we have a ministry that builds people up, doesn't tear them down. The Corinthians had said, Paul's weak in appearance. Paul's not a great speaker. Paul's not like Apollos. So he says he's going to return. In chapter 13, he tells him, "I'm, I'm coming. Listen. And he's saying, I've got an apostolic authority. I've been given an authority by God. Please don't be afraid of that. But he says, my ministry is to build up, not to destroy. This happens in the church as well as in politics, as well as in business, as well as in homes. People abuse power and authority. And Paul says, I didn't do that and I'm not going to do it. But I do have authority, and my authority is to build up. But I will deal with you because of the harm that you're causing to the gospel. Verse 12, he goes on. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some uh, who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. He says this. I won't compare myself 
with other people. I love the Phillips translation. Of course, we wouldn't dare to include ourselves in the same class as those who write their own testimonials. We wouldn't even dare compare ourselves with them. See, what they were saying is Paul compared with us. Is If he's a Christian at all, he's a second-class Christian. He was saying, I can't talk about that. I can only talk about what the Lord has given me to do. Or let me put it in our modern situation. When you apply for a job, you write your own CV. You don't write your own references. Okay, that's a big hint, by the way. Don't do that. You can't write your own references, even in the third person. In terms of Christianity and in terms of Christian work, we can only talk about the sphere that God has given us. I think we like to make comparisons all the time. It's interesting how we make those comparisons and how we express opinions about spheres of service that we've not been called to. He wasn't very good at playing a piano, wasn't he? Pretty rubbish preacher, that. Not very good at making coffee and so on. You can get people who've got that kind of, of, of spirit. But surely the biblical position is we have to take the beam out of our own eye first. I love Calvin's quote here. A man that has one eye is king among the blind. You think about it. Some of us, it's very easy. We can compare ourselves to people who we look at and we go, yeah, we're better than them. And God says, I'm not interested in that comparison. I'm interested in the work that I have called you to. Again, Calvin, for as almost all are blind through extreme self-love, we cannot safely place confidence in the estimate we form of ourselves. I've sometimes heard somebody, a, a preacher say, well, I was preaching, how did you get on in that talk? I thought it went pretty well. I, I, yeah, it was good. Well, what do you say? I mean, you're talking to someone like that, and actually it was deadly dull and boring and awful. I mean, a, a faithful friend would go, like my friend David Meredith would say to me, Dave, shut up. You were deadly dull and boring. Prepare better next time. Well, that's a faithful friend. The person who nods and goes, yeah, well, that's very nice is actually not a faithful friend. But it's incredible how we can compare ourselves, and it's wrong. Oh, that God would give us the gift to see ourselves as others see us. We mustn't compare ourselves with others. Verses 13 and 14. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned to us, a sphere that also includes you. We're not going too far in our boasting, as would be the case if we had not come to you, for we did get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. Paul says, we're not going to talk about other people's work. We're going to talk about what we have done. And he's saying, look at the facts. You can see what we have done. These super apostles are great talkers. I I get really tired of going to meetings church leaders meetings where people come in and go, I've got this strategy for doing church planting and I've got this, these ideas. And I want to look and I want to go, what, what have you actually done? I was at an infamous meeting. To me, it's probably the worst one I've been at like that, where somebody said, we have moved on from being a missionary organization which church plants to being one where we start church planting movements. Now, when you, it sounded good, the jargon, but when you unpacked it and when you questioned it, what they really meant was, and I did ask this and got in trouble for asking it, 
I did it say, how many churches have you planted? And the answer was basically zero. But they said, we haven't been able to plant churches, so we're going to start church planting movements. Look, if you can't do it, if you haven't done it, what makes you think you can teach other people to do it? Sometimes you just look at Christianity and there's an awful lot of people just yak, yak, yakking and just not getting on with it. And Paul says, I did it. These super apostles, they're like cuckoos who've come into Corinth and taken it over. Paul may have lacked professionalism, something that the Greeks loved. Maybe his manners seem weak and pathetic. Maybe as these super apostles said, Paul's not a proper minister. He doesn't behave like a proper minister. He's not, you know what I mean, they would say. And Paul says, no, no, look, look at the fruit, Acts 18. Paul left Athens, went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who'd recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. So there's Paul in Corinth making tents, the apostle. The super apostles, of course, would never do that. They were too spiritual for that. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks, and he wasn't too successful. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I'm clear of my responsibility. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in the vision, do not be afraid, keep on speaking, do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God, and the church was born, and this is the very church that invited in these super apostles who were saying Paul's not a proper minister. He's not a proper teacher of the gospel. He's not like us. And Paul says, I belong to Christ. I was given a ministry by Christ. You're the result of the ministry. What have they done? What have they managed to achieve? He goes even further than that, though. And this is astonishing. Verse 15. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow... Our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. For we do not want to boast about work already done in someone else's territory. Paul says, you're the result of my ministry, but it's not enough. Romans 15, 17, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and miracles, through the power of the Spirit. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Elycrium, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I'd not be building on someone else's foundation. There's a passion in Paul that's wonderful. He says, I did this, but I want more. I didn't just plant a church in Corinth and that was it. He said, I want to go beyond Corinth. I want to go to the regions beyond. And that's his call. That's what he's called to do. 
I wonder if we've lost this sense of the call. I wonder if people have just got into choosing their Christian work like you would choose a university. I like this, tick, I like this, tick, I don't like that, cross, I like this, tick, I'll apply for this, tick. You don't apply to do the work of God. You're called to do the work of God. Whatever that work is, I'm not just talking about preaching or the minister or pastor. I'm talking about lots of different things. God's call to serve. You know what I think of? I think of Mez and 20 Schemes and Nidri. I'm sorry, I, I don't wish to be a... I wouldn't choose to go and live in Nidri. And I wouldn't choose to do that work. And neither did Mez. God called him to do that. People said to me, you know, because people in Scotland can be so parochial. When they heard that we were coming to Dundee, they said, what are you going to Dundee for? Well, the actual answer is because God has called us. That's why. Not because we looked and said, this is the best city in Scotland and it's better than Perth and all that kind of rubbish that people like to justify where they're at. No, God calls. Why are you teaching in that Sunday school? Why are you doing this? God calls. You know what I'm praying just now? I'm praying that God will call people to serve and live in Charleston. I'm praying that God will call some young men here to go out and be prepared to preach God's word. I'm praying that God will call men and women to be tent makers in different places, in different situations. Not just here, but where Hugh is now in Burundi. All over the world that God will call. Without that sense of call, you always end up dissatisfied. Paul says, I know that God has called me to preach and to go in the regions beyond. For me, it's, 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 I'm just saying this personally, it sustains me. I know without a shadow of a doubt that God has called me to preach the gospel. And I don't care what any church or individuals criticize or say. You've got to preach the gospel. You know, some people would come to Paul and they'd say, you're always looking for the next challenge. Are you never going to be satisfied? Paul says, I am satisfied. I've learned to be content, whatever the situation, as long as I get to preach the gospel. But he says, I'm not satisfied with leaving it with one place. And we can't be satisfied. Am I satisfied this morning that this church is relatively full downstairs? No, because there's several hundred seats upstairs. But even more importantly, there's 140,000 people in Dundee this morning who aren't anywhere near a church, the vast majority of whom know nothing about Jesus Christ. Of course, I can't be satisfied. Verse 17, he says, But let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. We read it from Jeremiah. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom or the strong man boast of his strength or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight. Paul had already cited this verse to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 1.31, when he's talking about preaching the cross and how not many wise by human standards, not many of noble birth, not many of influ inf influence in society were called, but the weak were called. And he said, God did this so that you would boast not in, your, in yourselves, but in the Lord. Someone might say, I'm proud to be Scottish. I'm proud to be Malaysian. I'm proud to be English. I'm proud to be whatever. 
Well, there's a kind of correct pride and there's a wrong pride. To say I'm proud to be a Christian, hmm, I'm not sure. It's certainly wrong if you say I'm proud to be a Christian and you're not. I think what we really have to say is it's absolutely the grace of God. Absolutely the grace of God. Just as we did not choose where we were born, we did not choose that we were born again. And God has worked in your life if you're a believer. And it's like the song that we sang just a while ago is Amazing Grace. I sometimes think that we sing that thinking, well, actually, it's deserved grace. I'm pretty good. And of course God was going to save me because he needs me on his team. And he doesn't. He doesn't need you and he doesn't need me. If we boast, we boast in the Lord. And verse 18, for it's not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Back in 1 Corinthians 4, Paul said, Men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. I tell you, that is an absolutely golden place to be where you don't really care what other people, how other people judge you and you don't even care how you judge yourself. That's real freedom. He said, my conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He'll bring it all to light. He'll bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's heart. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. In Romans 2, he says, such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. Someone might say, oh, that's... A wonderful, wonderful sermon. I know Sinclair has been in the ministry more than, a lot more than me and a lot more experience, and he'll know this more. It is right and good if someone comes up and says, I really appreciated that sermon. I really benefited from it. It was great. As a preacher, it's good to be encouraged in that way. But we know that ultimately it's not what you think, not what we think, but what God thinks that really, really matters. And that's the whole point of what Paul is saying here. He's saying these super apostles, they come in, they come into a work that they haven't done, they talk and talk and talk about all this spirituality and strategy and everything else. And he says, they accuse me of not being a Christian. He says, ultimately, I don't care. I care what God has called me to. I care what God is doing. I care that the gospel is being preached. I care that it goes beyond what you just have. He's saying it's God's opinion, opinion that counts. It's God's vote. So I come back to where we came in. What do you boast about? What do you talk about? What's all your status is about? Where's your passion? Where's your heart? I love Scotland. And I'm really, really concerned about what's happening in Scotland, not just with the referendum, but in the churches. I had a man come to see me this week, well, well known, well gifted, godly man, minister, absolutely broken at what's happening in the church and to him. But you know what the brokenness is? The brokenness is 
when I was walking or driving, cycling rather, through Fintry, and I saw people who had real hope and were really excited because they could put a yes poster in their window and because they thought something great was going to happen. And I'm not despising that. I'm not making a political opinion here, but I'm saying this. I know that these people will be, whatever the result, will ultimately, if that is their hope, they will ultimately be broken again and they will be told, go back to your drink, go back to your drugs, go back to your 42-inch plasma TV because that's all there is and that's all that you're worth. And that's not true. They are worth the Son of God loving them, dying on the cross. And we as the church have that And yet we faff around with so much stuff that's just doesn't make sense. Do you know, here yesterday, it was wonderful. Wonderful to be here and to have different people from the church, different things going on. But to have people come in, Chinese students come in, an elderly couple come in, a a young couple whose child comes to the wee rascals. And to have them ask, what is all this about? And to be able to say to them, you know what it's all about? It's about what is the most important thing possible, Jesus Christ and who he is. And I'm just asking, I'm asking myself and I'm asking you, where's your confidence? Where's your boasting? Where's your joy? Where's your passion? Where's your heart? Weep for your country, weep for your family, care for them all. But ultimately, your love and your desire must be for the Lord and for them to know the Lord. And I know God. And I know that if we have that, God's not going to turn that away. That's a passion and a burden that God gives. Seek the Lord's commendation, not your own. The greatest thing you will ever hear, I think, is on the day of judgment, well done, good and faithful servant. Come in. Come in. To the rest of your Lord. That is a sonship statement. That's God saying, well done, son. Well done, daughter. You've done well. That's all that you want to hear, the commendation of your Father in heaven. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that our boasting is so often in ourselves, in our, our identity is so often found in other things and other people other than you. Forgive us. Our country, our identity, can't save or help anyone, but you can. And so we pray, we pray for this poor nation of ours, that has so rejected you. We read of of Eli's sons that they were wicked because they did not consider you. And oh God, much as it pains us to say us, our leaders in general are wicked because they do not consider you. Sometimes they pay lip service, but they do not consider you. God, have mercy on them and have mercy on us. And help us to consider you. Help us to love you. Help us to have the heart that you have, to be upset about the things that you are upset about. Help us, O Lord, to care for the poor. Help us to look for justice. Help us to seek the broken and the wounded. Help us, O Lord, to proclaim your gospel 
to a world that is in such desperate need of it. And if any of us here do not know you, oh God, work in our hearts, work in our lives, that we would not be satisfied until we find our rest in you. For we ask it in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.